Tonight we're going to look at uh, a different aspect of one of the uh, one of the elements of, of the book of Philippians, but it's going to be again funnel through the understanding of its theme. The theme of the book is what? It's joy. And when you read this book, and I want to encourage you, there they are, and you can just kind of watch, and as people come through, you can hand them out. When you read through this book, I want you just to, just to look and listen for the joy that just exudes through this book. And so, uh, and we've, I've kind of challenged you with this revelation that if you'll allow the book and allow the Word of God to, uh, and the book of Philippians to really, if you'll digest it, your, your biblical joy will begin to rise to a whole nother level. And kind of our premise is this, is that biblical joy has absolutely nothing to do with your temporary circumstances. It really doesn't. And we looked at Paul the Apostle. Paul would have no reason to write in, in, in uh, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He would have no reason to write in Philippians 1, uh, 3, 1, uh, uh, therefore I say unto you, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, but he, his joy was not hingent, if you will, upon his temporary circumstances or his, his, the circumstances of his life. And we kind of outlined his life. Was it last week or the week? But no, it's kind of an introduction. Wow, that guy was always jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. He had been beaten, left for dead, persecuted, uh, you know, just traumatized. Uh, his, his friends left him uh, in prison for four years. And he's in, he's in Roman uh, custody for four years when he pins the book of Philippians. So just a quick, you know, reassessment of the understanding that biblical joy has, has nothing to do with your temporary circumstances. It has everything to do with who we are in Christ Jesus. And, and we talked about that last week. Our position will kind of hit that again. Tonight we want to talk about the joy of community because uh, community uh, is, is, is a theme through the book of Philippians and really through all of his writings. Uh, when you look at his writings, You'll see this theme uh, reverberating throughout his, his writings. And we were created as people of community. We were not created to be lone rangers. In fact, one of my favorite proverbs says this, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. I think it's Proverbs 17.1. He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all sound judgment. In other words, uh, you, you're, you don't have very good judgment as a believer if you're not actively involved in community. So it's a theme throughout uh, Philippians even. Let's look quickly. Let me just show it to you just so you'll understand it. Philippians uh, 1 verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. How many of you can sense the community, the heart, the fellowship that he has in his heart towards them? Uh, in verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Uh, look over in Philippians 2, 2. We're going to read that whole chapter in just a moment. He says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of, the, of one accord and of one mind. Uh, look in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Yes, and if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Everyone say, with you all. 
For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. We're just, we just see the theme of, of Christian community and really the joy of community uh, that happens when we get plugged in to a thriving or to a, to a viable uh, fellowship of the saints. It's God's plan and purpose always has been. I believe it always will be. Uh, you know, Jesus taught us this in Matthew 22 uh, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say, That's, that sounds like community to me. You're not supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. John 15, uh, when he's uh, uh, talking about abiding in Christ, then he says, love one another and love me. And, he, and then he talks about when you obey my commands and you love one another, uh, it, it just brings joy uh, into my life and into your life as well. That says John 14 should have been John 15. That's how fast I did these PowerPoint notes a while ago. So it should be John 15. So so it's all throughout the Word of God, the book of Ephesians. Hey, read the book of Ephesians and do this when you read it. Every time, get get a little pencil or something. And when you read through Ephesians, uh, circle us, we... Uh, and, and it's just chock full. It's all about us and we. Everybody say us and we. It really is. It's about community. And then Paul really hits the Philippians with this when he says we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So tonight we want to talk about, I just lay this foundation, this biblical foundation of the validity of community uh, before you. And then just link with it that when you plug into community, it moves you to a whole new level of biblical joy. That's kind of the precedent of tonight. You got, if you got it, kind of shake your heads. I think I got that. If you got that, then we can move forward. Amen. So that's the premise for tonight. Uh, we're looking at the joy of community. Uh, and so when you think of community, you have to think of things that we have in common. Everyone say things in common. We want to talk about the commonality uh, of community because when you do a word study uh, with the word fellowship or communion, uh, uh, you know what you come up with? It's a Greek word uh, that, that means, I think the word's koinonia, which means common ground sharing. Things we have in common. When, when Paul talks about the fellowship of the saints, the koinonia of the saints, the common ground sharing we have as the saints of God. It's not, it's not in the, the football game, the football team we support. It's in the Christ we know. Uh, and so uh, we want to give you tonight uh, from Philippians 1, really, some of the common ground that, that we all have in common that brings us together in community. And Paul hits it pretty good. Uh, in fact, if you look at Philippians chapter 1, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these four things out of Philippians chapter 1. If you look in verse 1 through 3, look at this right here and see who he's writing to. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to, to some of the saints. Somebody say all the saints. All the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Now, let me just say to you uh, what he's saying here. Uh, this, this, this letter is to all of you. And from the understanding of the common ground we carry, it doesn't matter if you're a bishop or a deacon or if you're a new saint or an old saint, uh, you know, uh, we we're all have some things in common. Red and yellow, black and white, there's some commonality we share that bring us together as believers and produces biblical joy in our life. And here they are, number one, 
It's the commonality of position. Remember verse 1, to all the saints, where? Everybody say, in Christ Jesus. So we talked, hey, that was really the whole theme of last week, talking about our position in Christ. And, and from our position in Christ, we have biblical joy, right? Not based upon our position on planet Earth, not based upon our conditions on planet Earth, but based upon our position of fixed, in a fixed position in Christ. That's what the little, the, the biggest little word in the New Testament is. In means fixed position. I'm in Christ. And we all, as Christians, have the commonality that we are fixed and established and settled in Christ. That's the core of who we are. That's the foundation from which we live and move and have our being. The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. Not in him I live and move and have my being. In him the community lives and moves and has their being. You know what? I really don't believe there's any real such thing as a, as a lone ranger for Jesus. I just really don't. Because we're, we're members, if you will, of the body of Christ. How many of you know the body? Hey, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we can't live without each other. And so we have that commonality that we're fixed in him. And that should produce within us, uh, as we begin to operate in that, a whole new level of biblical joy. Number two, we have the commonality of provision. Let me explain that to you from verse 7. Paul said this, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. That's the one phrase from which I get this point, this point of commonality. You are all partakers with me of grace. Now, it, again, it doesn't matter if you're a deacon, an elder, an apostle like Paul was, or just one of the saints. We all have the commonality of the same provision from heaven as the other person does. In fact, Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's 18 and 19. He said, uh, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not I am blessed with every spiritual blessing, but we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. How many of you know you have the same access to the ministry of grace that I have? God does not pick and choose with who he graces and blesses or who he wants to, uh, it's, it's, we all have the same access. In fact, the Bible says we can all come boldly before the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace and uh, to help us in time of need. So as the family of God, we have a commonality of our position and we have a commonality of provision. Sometimes we tend to look at people and we just say, well, I'm just not blessed like he is. Uh, and you know what we're really looking at? Probably the temporal things of life. How many of you know there are people, I've been around the world and I've seen the body of Christ in terrible circumstances from a natural perspective. Some of the places that our Church on the Rock family has church, you would be afraid to walk in the doors. There's no lights. There's dirt on the floor. Girls, the bugs. Oh, Jesus, help me. They don't have the provisions that we have. But you know what I've seen with a lot of those places around the world? 
they got the same grace. They've got the same joy. They've got the same peace. They've got the same Holy Ghost. They got the same mandate from God. Hey, they're operating in the same provisions from above that we are. Just different conditions, but the same provisions. So we have commonality of provision. So don't ever think of yourself as less than someone else. Hey, hey, you're one of the saints. He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And as the community, we have a commonality of purpose. When you think about our lives and what God really looks to us as his people, we have a commonality of purpose that, that transcends your job, that transcends your education, that transcends your, your history and your family line. Here it is in verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, catch this, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. My friend, there's our commonality of purpose. We should all be striving together, working, straining, if you will, together for the purpose of God. And how many of you know, one can chase a thousand, but two ten thousand. You know, when I think of my friends around the world, I think of David Hatley, you know, there in Africa and all he's done. You know what? Even though he's there and we're here, you know what we're doing? We're striving together for the purpose of the gospel, for the advancement of God's kingdom, for the, for the faith of God to be released and the good news of God to be made known throughout the world. You see, as Christians... And people within the family of God. We have a commonality of our position fixed in Christ. We have a commonality of provision. Hey, you have the same access to God that Paul the Apostle had. You've got the same benefits that I've got. There's no, you know, all this health care stuff. Oh, man. I just, cha- I just changed health care plans uh, because the one I had wasn't going to work for... Uh, Obamacare. Uh, and amazing, um, a year ago, I, I couldn't qualify for anything, but I called my insurance guy and he said, all I have to ask you is one question. I said, what's that? He said, are you an American citizen? I said, yes, I am. He said, you're approved. I went, and it was cheaper than what I was paying for my cheapo depot policy. But man, all those different plans and all those different things and all those numbers and you know what and some of some of you some of us you know where where am I going to fit in all this listen we all have the same access into all that God has for us amen commonality of provision commonality of purpose oh but let me just say number four before we get to some better things we all have a commonality of pressure Look what he says in verse 27, uh, verse oh, 30. The commonality of pressure. It says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. He's talking about the pressures of life. He's talking about the persecution. You see, all of us at some point are going to face some pressure because of our faith, because, because of our Christian walk. And what he's saying with this, this church in Philippi who was experiencing some persecution, he said, hey, we're in this thing together. How many of you appreciate that? And the pressures we face in life, whether it's persecution or just the world system, we're in this thing together. And it's good to know that we've got others with us. 
And we can stand fast together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so uh, those are the commonalities. Now, I want to talk to you now just for a few moments from Scripture, from, from Philippians, about the priority. I said it this way, biblical joy is priority, but then maintaining the community unity. Let me tell you something. Community unity is, is the priority uh, of our life for the sake of biblical joy. Let me tell you something. When community unity, everybody say that just for kicks. Community, C- community unity. <laughs> when community unity goes out the window, biblical joy goes down into the pits. Because there's a biblical joy is established uh, and and proliferates within the community of the saints. We'll look at that some more in a moment. But we remember, if you remember, there was a twofold purpose for the book of Philippians. One is to thank them for their, 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 their sacrificial, benevolent gift towards Paul. They had sent Paul financial gifts in his time of need. And that's in Philippians chapter 4. But the second part of this was an encouragement toward community unity. Because undoubtedly, there were some issues. How many of you know when you get flesh and blood together, there will always be issues? How many married folks we got here? Hey, hey, when when you get married, guess what there always is? Issues. You, you just got to learn that when you have community, uh, you got to have unity. And there's always issues that try to undermine the unity. And Paul addresses this with this church. Now, if you look over in Philippians 4, uh, I, you know, these two ladies, there were two ladies. And I won't point fingers, ladies, but you got to be careful. Uh, uh, you know, guys and gals are different. Let me, let me see if I can step off in this without being offensive. There is a tendency among women. They, they're more relational and they're more communicative, communicative. And they need support and understanding. Am I right? Guys, hey man, how's it going? Fine. You know, your wife says to the husband, how'd your dad go? Good. Now, guys, you know what happens if you ask your wife that. How'd your day go? Well, let me just tell you. And my wife will take off, and I'm going, okay, well, land the plane here, babe. We got, we got to get somewhere, you know. She's, the, she's in the details. She wants to tell me all about it. She's a, she's a person uh, of great communicative skills. And she wants to, and guys are different. Now, as a result, ladies, if you're not careful, when you get together, those, because of that, issues can arise. Now, am I right? Okay, I, I think I'm right. I don't want to be too... too uh, it, it's, it has that potential. And you've got to be careful. I tell women when they get together, praying together. Just keep praying together and don't, don't start gossiping together. This is not a gossip, gossip meeting. It's a prayer meeting, right? But how many of you know that, that could happen? Well, we need to pray for sister so-and-so, you know. No, I don't know. So evidently some of that was going on in Philippi because it says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. 
And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, he's telling the body of Christ, hey, uh, he, he's calling them out and saying, you got to get this fixed. Now, he's not being ugly. He's saying you got to guard community unity. Everybody say community unity. It's really important. Whether it's church or family, you've got to guard community unity. And so uh, let, me, let me make this statement. Let's, in fact, uh, hmm, let's read a couple of verses, and, and then I'm going to make a statement to you. Philippians 1, 27, that's what he's saying here when he said, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in what? One spirit and one mind striving to the, together for the faith of the gospel. What's he saying? Stay on track. Stay focused. And then look in chapter 2. Here we're getting into chapter 2. I said we were going to read it all, but I'll just hit, I'll hit it from different angles. Uh, Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any comfort. Now let me stop. When you see a therefore, what do you do? You go back to see what the therefore is there for. And what did he just talk about? Community unity and the fact that we're going, we need one another and we can't get distracted. We can't be fearful. We can't get off track from the purpose of God. Uh, we can't let our, if you go back into Philippians, you can't let your circumstances uh, 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 get you knocked out of the, the faith and knocked out of the family. You gotta, we got to stick together. Uh, and he says, therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection of mercy, fulfill my what? In other words, this, what I'm about to say, will release biblical joy in my life and in the family of God, I would say. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of, everybody say others. Now, what's he saying? Whatever you do, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any... Hey, he's saying if, if there's anything of validity of what we've been talking about, then you've got to do whatever you can to maintain community unity. That's, that's a priority of life. Some people think it's their job to stir up disunity. How many of you know one of the things God hates in the, in the Old Testament is those that sow discord among the brethren? I've met people like that. That they think it's the, the call of God on their life to stir it up. My wife calls them pot stirrers. You gotta be careful, they're pot stirrers. And if you know somebody who's a pot stirrer, don't give them anything to stir up. And, and, and do everything you can to, to, uh, for the sake of biblical joy, for the fulfillment of biblical joy, to guard your heart and do whatever you can to maintain community unity. Now, here's the statement I want to make, and it's, and it's based on verse 12 and 13. And here it is. I'm going to read verse 12 and 13 of Philippians 2 in just a moment. 
Maintaining community unity. Here it goes. Let's read it together. It requires work from each. I said, let's read it out loud together. Here we go. That's better. Out loud and do it proud. It requires work from each one with the help of the Holy One for the benefit of all. Let's do it again. Read it out loud. It requires work from each one with the help of the Holy One for the benefit of Read it again. It requires work from each one with the help of the Holy One for the benefit of all. Now, where does that come from? Let me show you these verses. And let me fill in the gaps to get to that verse because we're going to come back to it. Verse 1 through 4, he's saying, hey, you've got to maintain community unity. You've got to be of one heart. You've got to look, look, look at others as more important than yourself. And then verse 5 through 11, we'll come back to it in a moment. But the illustration example is Jesus Christ, who is the, the, the creator of community. And so verse 12, there's another therefore. Therefore, my beloved... Now, what's the context? Maintaining community unity. Looking to Jesus as the, as the one who created it. We'll talk about that in a moment. And having the same mind that Christ has. But this statement, it requires work from each one with the help of the Holy One for the benefit of all. Look in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, understand when he says work out your own salvation, he's not talking about working your way to heaven. How many of you know we all know that you don't work your way into right good graces with God? Titus 3, 5 says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. So what's he talking about when he says, okay, brethren, now I know you're, you, you're an obedient heart. You've got an obedient heart, but now we're talking about community unity, and, and, and here's what I need from you. I need you to obey what I'm saying, not just at, when I'm there, but when I'm not there, and he said, you've got to work this out. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, hey, all these things that we've been talking about that come uh, because you're born again, uh, you know, this, this, this commonality we have, you've got to work it out on the inside of your life. If you're going to maintain community, how many of you know, let me just back up. When you go to verse four, let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Would you agree with me that that does not come natural? Would you agree with me as a husband or as a wife that that does not come natural? Would you agree with me as a human being or a brother, a sister, a work companion? That does not come natural to us. It takes what? Work. Now, the cool part, we work at our own salvation with fear and trembling. But guess what? God is working as we go to work. God goes to work. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
So when we think about community unity, it's for God's purpose and plan. And we need to realize something about who we are when it comes to members of the community. We better realize we got to get to work on this in fear and trembling. Now, that that just kind of brought it to a whole new level. This is not something, you know, Paul, he's real nice to the Philippians. He loves the, if there's one heavy moment in this whole thing, here it is. He says this, I know you've been obedient to what I've said to you in the past. But I'm not there now, and I need you to listen up, and you need to obey now what I've said. And you work it out in your heart with fear and trembling. This is serious. Maintaining community unity is serious. But the good side of it, God's at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen? Now, So let's read it together again. It requires work from each one. Let's do it out loud. It requires work from each one with the help of the Holy One for the benefit of all. And I could have said, and for the glory of God, because it's it's all for, verse 13, for His good pleasure. Could it be that community unity is one of the things that pleases God the most? I think so. If you go to, oh, is it Psalms 133? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to gather together, gather together in unity. It's like the precious oil on Aaron's beard coming down. And he says, there God commands the blessing. Whoo, somebody say amen. amen. So Paul the apostle understood The necessity of maintaining community unity. Now, let me give you three ways to do that. And three three areas where you can work hard toward or work towards to help maintain community unity. The first one is this. We must work towards loving better. We've got to work towards loving better people better. Now, look in chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. Now, you got to understand, these people loved Paul. Paul loved these people. But in the church, there was some issues with community unity. And so look at one of the things he prays for them. He says this, I pray that your love, verse 9, may abound still more and more in all knowledge and all discernment. Now, it's not a blind love. It's a wise love. It's a knowing love. He's, you, you get smart and better at how you love one another. You got to keep getting better with how you love one another. It can't be a surface thing. It's got to grow deeper. It's got to come to the place where you look out, not for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So maintaining community unity and working it out requires us to work hard or work, hey, work hard towards loving one another better. Oh, we could just hammer that thought for another hour and a half. You know, Read 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so people who maintain community unity, 
and people who who, who are uh, are uh, who stir up biblical joy are people who understand that that community unity is super important and I'm going to keep working on getting better at how I love one another. In fact, verse 3 and 4, let nothing, of chapter 2, let nothing be done from selfish ambition. Let nothing in the church be done from selfish ambition. So we must work hard if we're going to maintain community unity. We've got to work hard at loving better. Number two, we've got to work hard at living better. That's what verse 27 of chapter 1 is all about. Because of the need for community unity for the sake of the gospel, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. The way we live our life. We've got to work towards living better. Look in chapter 2, verse 14. After he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God's working in you both the will and to do for his good pleasure. Look what he hits here. He says, do all... Th-. Now, in other words, here's some ways you work it out. You do all things without complaining and disputing. Do how many things? All things without complaining and disputing. It's easy sometimes in the ministries we're involved involved with, especially if they're service-oriented, and most all of them are in the church, to potentially become a grumbler and a complainer. He said, do all things. And look at verse 15. He said, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. What's he saying here? He said, hey, part of this working it out and community unity is realizing, hey, you can't let uh, uh, the flesh in. You got to learn to live better. You got you to gotta be better at this than you are right now. I, hey, you're doing good. He said, hey, you're, you obeyed me always. You've been loving, but it needs to abound more. You just got to keep working on loving better and living better and being a role model together. And then the third thing we got to work hard towards if we're going to maintain community unity is we got to look better. We got to start looking better. What do you mean? The way we dress? You talking about? No, look. Look what I just read there in verse 15. You be blameless and harmless as children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know the sad thing today that I think is hard sometimes to turn around? If the crooked and perverse generation get a bad picture in their mind, of the church. It's really hard to get it out. How many of you know that's true? Have you ever met some of those folks? You just, you think everything's fine. Y'all are working together fine. And all of a sudden, they realize you go to church somewhere. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you realize, ooh. 
and the poison and the, and the venom and the hurt and the critique just comes out because they got a bad taste. They got a bad look. They got a, they got a flawed perspective of who we are. And we all have, you know what Paul's saying? One of the big things that the world looks to as a validator for our, to validate for them who we are is how we love one another. That's what the Bible says. They'll know we are Christians by what? Our love. And that will produce within them a good feeling and a good look, even though something in them says, I don't know about these Christian folks. Paul's saying community unity goes way beyond the four walls of the local church. Because if it's not happening in there, it'll bleed off out there and everybody will know. Right? Who maintaining community unity is huge. All right. Whew, that's, that, that's probably a whole session right there. Let me just jump through some of this here. Y'all still okay? You're not bored yet? Look, tell, look around somebody and say, hang on, we got just a little more to go. And Jeremy, the water is great. Now, let's talk a little bit about the community Christian uh, and the characteristics of a community Christian, how they function uh, one another. The community Christian... Let me just say this. They don't come in herds. <laughs> they don't come in herds. They're not in flocks. Now, hopefully we'll change this. Kind of reminds me of the water buffalo in Africa. Now, you would say, how would that remind you of the water buffalo? Somebody said, how would that remind you of the, how would that remind you of the water? Well, the water, the water buffalo is one of the big five that's hard to see when you go on a safari. We're on a safari. Ask Salome, she saw some water buffalo, but she got sick the next day and didn't see all that I saw. Because the first time I went, I saw one water buffalo. I mean, I thought, oh, I saw the water buffalo. It's like they're elusive. But hey, they have learned to procreate. I saw just thousands of them. And then I'll, I realized they're now coming in herds. I saw a herd of them when, when before they were so elusive and scarce because they were being poached and the, the, their horns and, and now they're protected. But let me just tell you something. Community Christians, they're still not coming in herds. Now, let me show you this. Two examples. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, in, in chapter 2, uh, uh, he goes, uh, he, he jumps in. He says, but I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one, now catch this, he's saying, these don't come in herds. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, uh, he's writing uh, uh, from the Roman jail and there were Christians there. But he's saying these kind don't come in herds. These are rare birds. And could I say from that day until now, they're still rare birds. And to become a real bona fide community Christian, 
that looks out for the needs of others more than themselves, it's a rarity. I know some. I can name some names, names you wouldn't know, some names you would know. But he says, there's no one. All seek their own. But you know his proven character, verse 22, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself, sh- that I myself shall also come shortly. You know what Paul's doing? He's using Timothy and he's going to use Epaphroditus. He's given them some examples. He's saying, okay, guys, uh, he's not just, you know, uh, commending Timothy and commending Epaphroditus. He's commending Timothy and commending Epaphroditus as a role model and example for the whole church in Philippi. Saying it's not just me. Hey, Timothy. And let me tell you about Epaphroditus. Now, let me just say before I read Epaphroditus, we need an Epaphroditus anointing upon our lives, if you could call it that. Look at verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now catch this. Catch how Paul describes this guy. This guy. These don't come in herds. Now Paul, what did he just say about Timothy? Hey, everybody, there's, there's no one. But then he says, let me tell you about Timothy. About Epaphroditus. He's my my brother. How many of you know that says a whole lot? We're brothers. He's my brother. You know. And then he says, my fellow worker. And then he says, my fellow soldier. You could preach a message right there. Those three thoughts. My brother. My fellow worker. And my fellow soldier, this guy has my back. He said, but he's your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You know what he said? If this guy had died, it would have my brother, my fellow worker, my, my fellow soldier, the one who ministered to me in my need when everybody else on me. Hey, this guy, he got sick and he nearly died. And if he'd have died, it would have broken my heart. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in high esteem. Why? They don't come in hurt. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Wow. Everybody say they don't come in herds. Now, what do these community Christians do for each other? The characteristics of the community Christian. Let's just jump in there. I think I can do this fairly quick. Number one, they pray for one another. We can stop right there and ponder that and come to the altar tonight because 
to be on, let's be honest. How many times do we say we'll pray for you, but we never pray for them? It's become a cliche. You know, interesting thing. My friend in Hayward, Wisconsin, what a great guy. We, we're not long-term friends, but we are brothers. We have a koinonia. He is such an interesting guy. He's kind of like a guy that has pins all in his pocket, you know, and, he, and he's a studier. And, and he, like he, he spent a whole year preaching out of Revelation at his church. I'm going, how do you do that? You know, I want to know. Uh, he's, he's a studier. But, oh, what a friend and what a faithful guy he is. And, and uh, just long-term, just, just a great guy. He's an encourager. And he challenges me. I've preached at his pastor's conference and now his missions conference. And he always gives me the weirdest themes. I preached his pastor's conference for the Christian ministers, international pastors from all over America. And he was the president at the time. And he said, here's the theme from, from Hebrews 11. As seeing him who is invisible. Boy, you got to work to preach from that one. And then this one is from Genesis 49 where it says, And Joseph was a fruitful bough whose vines ran over the wall. Anybody want to help me understand that? I'm preaching on that next week. He's an interesting guy. Love it. I'm, I'm excited. He said it's snowing there now. He said, bundle up. This week, while he's getting ready for his conference, his 93-year-old mother passed away. And he told me today on the phone, this was my last connection with my biological family. He said, she's in heaven today. And he was rejoicing. And in the middle of this conference on Saturday, they'll have her funeral in the middle of all this. It's just all this come together. And I text him and I said, Tim, I'm so sorry about your mom. I'm praying for you. And I went right back to studying this message. And I went, Oopsie-daisy. Not such a good member of the community of faith. Here's a guy who lost his mom. And I said I would pray for him. But I had to get back to preparing my message to tell y'all that if we're going to be good community Christians, we've got to pray for one another. Paul the Apostle in the first Philippians 1, 9 through 11, man, it's like this letter just explodes. He said, I, every, in fact, he said, every time I pray, I can't help. I just have to keep, I just have to pray for you. Now, how many of you, it's much easier to pray for your children than to pray for your boss at work? <laughs> how much how many of you know it's easier to pray for your kids than to pray even for your Sunday school kids? Why? Because you're emotionally, relationally, eternally attached. I rest my case. 
We are the family of God. Community. Members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. It's just, a, hey, community Christians, they just pray for one another. Number two, they prefer one another. That's what first uh, Philippians 1, 23, where he's saying, I'd rather go to heaven for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I'm hard pressed between the two, but I know it's better if I stay here with you for your sake, for your joy of faith, for your increase and continuance in the gospel. So therefore, I'm going to stay with you. What was he doing? I prefer you. I put you first. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, uh, 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 or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other each esteem others better than themselves. Hey, say it this way: more important than themselves. Community Christians pray for one another; they prefer one another. They put others before themselves. Again. These kind don't grow on trees. Pardon me, they don't don't come in herds and they don't grow on trees like a big, you know. This is a rare bird that Paul is challenging the Philippians to move towards. They pray for one another. They prefer one another. And I'm going to say it this way. They praise one another. Paul, when you read that, he's just telling them how great they are. He's praising them. Man, you're loving one another uh, and, and, and you're abounding still more and more. Verse 12 even, when he's getting serious with them, he says, hey, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Man, he's just pouring it on. And then he praises them for their for their sacrificial, heartfelt uh, service and outpouring of sacrifice for him. He's just encouraging them and praising them and saying, man, you're doing great. Keep it up. That's what community does for one another. We lift each other. Hey, there's so much in scripture. Encourage one another daily while it's called today. Exhort one another daily. Let me just ask you, is that the habit of life where when you walk in the room, people feel better about themselves just because you're being there? Think about it. Is this, is this, the, is this the motivation of our life? We walk in church and the people just go, oh, man, God, I feel better now. Ray's here. Whew, I was worried there for a minute, but Ray showed up. I feel better. Man, because he's such an encourager. He's a, he, he's a, he, he's just his person brings, wants to lift me to another level. In my walk with God. That's the community Christian. They pray for one another. They prefer one another. They praise one another. You know, because it's a P word, I had to figure out how to say it. They pine for one another. (laughs) Have you ever pined for anyone? Oh, yes, you have. When you were dating and when you were missing your girlfriend or boyfriend or a fiance or whatever, you would sit and you go, oh, I can't wait till they get back from where they're going. I miss them so much. My, I, I, I think I pine for my son, but uh, my wife, Nathan's mom, pines for her son because he doesn't live here anymore. And so when he shows up, surprise. Oh my goodness, the pining of Bebo has, has produced a, a joy in the house. And man, she was cooking things and man, Nathan's home. We're going to actually eat this week. Hallelujah. 
Man, there's a pot of stew that'll last us a month in there. I'm telling you. Why? Because she misses her son. And, and hey, Paul the Apostle said in Philippians 1.8, he said, catch this. For God is my witness how greatly I long for y'all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Man, there was something on the inside. When's the last time you woke up on Sunday morning going, oh, I can't wait to get to church because my family's there. I've been missing them all week. You get all frothed up. I haven't seen that much. But the community Christian, he's he's moving to the beat of a whole different drum. Because he knows this is his family. And he loves his family. And he pines for them. Whoo. Enough said. Okay, enough said. And then finally, the community Christian, they provide for one another. On many different levels. And let me just give you the, the multifaceted provisionary uh, benefits of being a part of a community church that understands the power of community. Here we go. Next slide. Community Christians, how do they, they provide for one another? Here they go. Number one, that community provides. Number one, hey, this is, this is kind of one of the first things, finances. In fact, that's what Paul's writing the letter about, thanking them for their financial provision for him. But one of the interesting things about the early church, if you remember Acts chapter 2, all the different people moved from all, came from all the different communities and villages and regions uh, for Pentecost. Holy Spirit falls upon them and they never leave. The church is born, 3,000 people, diverse backgrounds, people of different languages. And you know what the immediate realization was? All of a sudden we got 3,000 people and, and there's needs. And the Bible says they had all things in common. In other words, they brought their resources together for the sake of one another. And we do that here at Church on the Rock North. Now, we're not, we don't have a common checkbook. Aren't you glad we don't have a common checkbook? Because uh, some of you would get uh, that grumbling and disputing would start up that Paul's trying to keep us from. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about common care and concern for one another. When one member suffers, we all suffer. And we'll, hey, we'll do our part. We had a uh, uh, family in our church house burned down. We rallied together. We got, a fa- we got families in Africa who's, who's, who don't have fresh water. We're drilling them water wells. Come on now. Uh, and, and all around the world, we have family. And even here, uh, we share our finances. That's what family does. We take care of one another. Amen? Just part of it. But that's just a little part. Community, we provide for one another fellowship. Acts 2.42 says, They continue with one accord in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and fellowship. That's that, there's that word again. Community common ground fellowship now i'm not talking about in fact in a couple of wednesday now oh next next wednesday is our harvest fellowship we're going to have a a, a chili cook-off just some fun things together it's fellowship but you know what it's all around 
the common ground of who we are in Christ. And community provides not only fellowship, but now catch this, real friendship. Here's what you'll learn about the community of the saints. And even an illustration of Jesus Christ. In every church, all of us love one another and there's fellowship. But out of however many of us there are, there's some, we have more fellowship with than others. It doesn't mean we're uh, cliquish. Now, it's easy. You can be cliquish, but you're not, that's not the heart. But how many of you know, in a hundred people, you may know all of them, but 15 or 20 of them, you really fellowship with, you connect. And you know, out of that group, there's two or three that become real friends. And let me just say, those don't run in herds either. Jesus Christ had the, had the, had the masses. He had the 70. He had the 12. He had the three. And then he had the one. Jesus had a best friend. He loved them all the same, but he had a best friend. And, and, and it was valuable to him. How many of you know friends are important? And if you want to have friends, you know what the Bible says? Show yourself what? Friendly. Just as a side note, some people come in church with a big neon sign up here. Step away or I'll be able to bite your leg off. And then they say, that church not very friendly there. Well, you were sitting over in your chair going. It's kind of like, you ever ever seen a dog hit by a car in the road? You're not dead. And your mercy says, I got to help it. He's in the road. He got hit. And you get out there. What's that dog do? You want, I'm trying to help you. He doesn't know. He thinks you're going to hit him again or something. That's the way a lot of people are. They come hurt. Hey, but let me understand something. Community provides real friendships. Uh, Sonny Knatzer, who was, uh, he preached for Pastor Ron this past week, but was with us, Sonny and Susan, been our lifelong friends. He performed Beverly and I's wedding 30, whatever, 100 years ago. Our lifelong friends, they stayed in our home. He could have stayed at the Elegante. And Pastor Ron would have paid him to stay at the Elegante. I don't want to stay there. I want to stay with you. I want to sleep in your bed down the hall. That kind of needs a little help because we're friends. Amen. Hey, community Christians provide friendship. And then they provide focus. Let me just say, friends and the family of God and the community provides focus. That's really what what Paul's doing for this church, getting them in focus about about community unity. That's what chapter two is all about, and and really the last part of chapter one. He's 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 helped he's helped keeping them focused on on the things that are important that are a priority. And listen, that's what church is all about. That's what the fellowship of the saints is all about. Keep us focused in life. Keep us pressing forward. And we'll look in Philippians 3, uh, in, in, in the, just maybe next week, some, where Paul says, I'm pressing toward the goal. I'm, I'm not looking back. I'm pressing forward. I'm, I'm staying focused on my future. Uh, 
And so the fellowship will keep us focused and the family of God will keep us focused and it provides for us focus. And number two, it provides faithfulness. It builds it within us and role models it for us. Think of Epaphroditus. It's just faithful to the core. My brother, my fellow worker, my soldier, the one who ministered to my need. Faithfulness. Community teaches and provides and should model faithfulness. And I told you this last Sunday, there's a terrible uh, dysfunction in the, in the church today. And I'm just about done. Hang on. And, and it is this, that commitment levels in, in local church across America are at an all-time low. Now, not in the, not in the attender's mind, because they, they consider themselves faithful. But in the 80s, 80% of every church member who considered himself as an active member of the body of Christ, 80% would show up on Sunday. It was just across the board. 80% of your 100, 80 of your 100 people were going to be there on Sunday. Today, those same people who would consider themselves still faithful to God in his church, they're only showing up about 45% of the time. How many of you know we're going in the wrong direction? But if we'll understand the priority of community, and let me just say, hit and miss, and I'm preaching to the choir here, I know you're here on Wednesday night, but let me just say, hit and miss an unfaithfulness is is. The gross evidence of a lack of understanding about the power of what community provides. Faithfulness. Ooh, it's a big deal. It's a biggie. And then the last one, this is big too. The community provides fathering. Look in Philippians 2.22, and I may talk more about this. What does he say about Timothy? He says, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now, the Bible says there are not many fathers. But let me tell you something. In the local church, there ought to be some fathers. There ought to be some spiritual fathers. And hey, and if you're a Twitter, I, I tweeted something I heard. It's pretty to the point. It's to leaders. I'll say it to you. Uh, it was from John, uh, I think it was Dale Bronner, who you probably heard. The, he said this. He said, spiritual fathers, he's talking about father, spiritual fathers, circumcise their sons. Spiritual fathers. And what was what did he call the next one? He said, insecure fathers castrate their sons. Insecure leadership emasculates their sons. But here you see Paul, he said, he's serving with me. He's not serving me, he's serving with me. And let me tell you something. Let me, and I'm just going to throw this out for you. The whole world is all messed up with daddy issues. I'm convinced. In fact, I could almost, you just, I, I, I blindfold myself and just go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, daddy issues. Or, pastor, let me tell you my problem, daddy issues. Everybody but my kids, of course, nobody else. And so we transfer that to our relationship with God. And, and, and in the church, uh, hey, 
we find relationship, we find fathers. There are some people in this church who look at me as their spiritual father. I don't try to make myself that, and, and, but I'm realizing more and more who, who my identity is in Christ. And I'm going to quit, but let me just run through this for you so fill out your notes. The creator of community, uh, his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the greatest role model. Philippians 1, 6, he who started that work in you, he'll complete it. Philippians 2, uh, that's the, uh, where he is our role model of the, as the creator of community. And, and he models for us uh, uh, the servant's heart. He, uh, and this is all in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And the sacrificial heart. He, he laid himself down on the line for all of us. And let me say this one last line. When we truly embrace the calling and the commitment of community, biblical joy begins to manifest in and through our lives in biblical proportions. The joy begins to be full when we begin to embrace the joy of community. Amen? Whew, I'm done. I'm sorry. I got all frothed up. It's 818, uh, and I appreciate your faithfulness. Let's stand up together, and let's just lift our hands and say, Lord, let this word be sealed in our hearts tonight. Lord, let this word be sealed in our hearts tonight. And even tonight, as we leave this place, let the, let the community anointing come upon us. Let us let us be community Christians, Lord. Let us begin to learn, as Paul was encouraging the Philippians, to, to look to others and cause others to be more important than ourselves and to realize it's not about us. This community thing, this church thing is not about us. It's about others. And Lord, we want to look out for others and we want to learn to love better and to live better and to look better to the world that needs a role model. Lord, let them know we're Christians by our love. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now turn around, love one another. You got to do that after that message. And we'll see you. Well, I said we'll see you Sunday morning. I'll be praying for you Sunday morning. And uh, hey, you be watching Facebook. I might post me in the snow or something. You got to see what's going on in Hayward, Wisconsin. God bless you. We'll see you next Wednesday night at our Fall Family Fellowship.